Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. So Alyssa, both of our dads are like straight guys, right? Correct. Okay. So one thing that kind of annoys me about Father's Day is how much it leans on stereotypes of like what dads are. Like like dads love barbecues and gadgets and they wear shorts with too many pockets and they love steely, (laughs) they love steely Dan, even though that's the steely Dan thing I think is true. true. It's true on my part, yeah. Um, but I think that there's a lot of ways that our dads break stereotypes. So what is the most unstereotypical thing that your dad enjoys? Uh, the most unstereotypical thing, uh, I think he, he likes, I mean, well, let's be honest, many, many years ago when the television show Girls debuted on HBO, I saw my dad shortly after and he's like, Alyssa, have you seen this new show Girls? Lena Dunham is a genius. And so anyway, <laughs> Pop is the one. Pop is the one who turned me on to Lena Dunham. He turned me on to Chelsea Handler, and he wanted to make sure that I was uh, watching Mayor, and wanted to know my thoughts on Emily in Paris. So that's my dad. Your dad's got the finger. Uh, he's got his finger on the pulse of white lady entertainment. He, d- God bless. What about your dad? <laughs> my dad loves the soundtrack to the producers. Like awesome. <laughs> like the musical about the flop musical specifically. Um, I recall. Well, he and he and my mom went and saw it in New York, and he also has like the original soundtrack from when it came out originally. And, like, I just remember Springtime for Hitler playing in our house. (laughs) Springtime. Wait, but here's my question. What gets him in the mood to listen to it? Is he, like, working on the car? Is he doing the lawn? Is he driving the car? Is it anything? Um, My dad's a little bit of an enigma. I can't really. It'll just come out of nowhere. I'm like, why are we (laughs) listening to the producer's soundtrack right now? Why are we listening? He loves Ella Fitzgerald. Why are we listening to Ella Fitzgerald right now? It's 11 a.m. on a sunny day. That's, like chill out in the night music. 
But yeah, his, his musical tastes are very, very mysterious to me. And they include the soundtrack to the producers. So in terms of entertainment, our dads are like boundary breakers. In a way, I would bet that there are a lot of dads that are into the stuff our dads are into, but they're just, they don't fit the mold of what a dad does. And so they're things that aren't like depicted as much in culture. It's true. It's true. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Happy Father's Day. To all the dads out there and to all the moms who are doing the jobs of dads and to all the dads that are doing the jobs of moms and to all the people that don't have any kids and are having a great time anyway. And all the different kinds of dads. Cat dads, dog dads, all the dads. Plant dads. Plant dads, a whole new genre. (laughs) This week, we're joined by Representative Gwen Moore, Shaniqua McClendon, and Tian Tran to discuss the following questions. What's with the critical race theory freakout? Who has the best Juneteenth celebration? What is Pride Month pinkwashing and why won't it stop? And what are we going to do about the Olympics? All this and more right now. All right, we've got some news to get to. Annoying, we're going to start with annoying again. And then we're going to get to something that's a little bit more fun. Um, So this is for the listeners. Um, Listeners, are your children coming home from school disturbed by the course in critical race theory they're being forced to take? Well, I have one question for you. Why the fuck are your children in law school? (laughs) Because (laughs) critical race theory uh, as an academic movement started in the 80s with a Harvard Law professor named Derek Bell and students of color at Harvard Law School who were upset with the conditions under which Derek Bell left the school. Um, Those students included Kimberly Crenshaw who we've had on this show before. Friend of the pod. Friend of friend of the pod, who we've had on this show before, and she would go on to coin the term intersectionality. Basically, critical race theory, as it has existed up until like five minutes ago, is a reexamination of the law through mm-hmm. a racial lens and a challenge to typical liberal approaches to racial injustice. So that's what critical race theory is so critical race. This is like very Cliff's notes, right? Extreme Cliff's notes of Cliff's notes. But critical race theory is a law school class, and your stupid kids, Braxton and Prinsley, are not taking it. <laughs> okay, so that being said, it is the shiny new thing that Republicans are waving around and getting mad about. Um, everywhere from Alabama to Florida to Texas to, to Maine any, to Maine. Maine is always a wild card in these discussions. <laughs> um, people people are upset about this imagined proliferation of critical race theory, which we know is not being taught because it's a law school class. But, Alyssa, what do Republicans think critical race theory is? Uh, Republicans have gone around telling everybody that their kids are being taught critical race theory in elementary school And have gone on to try to pass laws banning such talk from kindergarten to grade 12 because they said that the entire point is to teach kids that they are evil, that America is evil, that we have nothing to be proud of. And I think that's it, right, Erin? We're evil. That's that's what they think is being taught in schools. I, I've been trying to read between the lines here um, because it seems like what's going on is that there's 
you know, it's not a grassroots effort because these things never are grassroots. This is planned. This is dark money being funneled into it. This is big shadowy organizations trying to rile up the Republican base. My impression of it is they're using the words critical race theory because those words are like big and scary and academic sounding. But really what they don't want is kids being taught about racism or sexism. In, right. In like school. the isms. No isms. Yeah. And like, it, it's just, it's very strange to me that that would be a thing that they would come down on because it's like, here's here's something that, that I was thinking when I was reading about Texas Governor Greg Abbott, uh, one of the bitches least capable of governing. Least capable. The He's, worst, the worst, the least able to govern. Least improved uh, player. Um, so Greg Abbott said something the other day about um, about critical race theory being bad uh, because education is not supposed to to make kids feel bad about themselves. Like there's all this language in these in these laws and these proposals that these these slack jawed legislators are coming up with that implies that the children are being made to cry by being taught about history. Um, I don't know, Alyssa, I can't recall the word that conservatives used to use in reference to liberals who couldn't handle things. Erin, would this be a snowflake? It would be. It seems <laughs> like snowflakery is being, uh, is, is being put in America's schools, uh, and they're mandating that the schools become worse uh, so that kids don't feel bad about themselves. Um, it just, it feels very weird to me. I, I do, do you know why they're doing this at this moment? Do you have any guesses as to why they're doing it at this moment? Oh, I mean, Aaron, they will do, look, Joe Biden's president. They have got to do whatever they can to scare the shit out of everybody. Now, the truth is there is a lot, um, that what they are doing is, look, We have learned a lot in the past couple of years. When you know better, you do better. Schools understand now, um, states understand that schools need to expand their curriculum. Now, a couple things. Would I want a teacher who uh, believes this, like, you know, that people are, that this is being forced on them? Would I want those people teaching my kids about this? No, I would not. Mm -hmm. I would want all of my teachers to have a, like, good feel really confident and have a good curriculum to teach, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of these lunatics are just exploiting, one, some, some, you know, kerfluffles that have happened across the country, but also they are just terrified that people might start seeing similarities in each other instead of differences and that people might start understanding each other better instead of fearing each other. And so they're trying to make this the most catastrophic thing that has ever happened since Pizzagate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I think the the biggest enemy of the Republican agenda is empathy. Yeah, and totally. any any curriculum that promotes empathy among children and and teaches America's children to grow up thinking about the humanity of each other and the fact that everybody has, you know, different different issues that they deal with and they're treated differently depending on who they are. Uh, I think that's 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 real bad news for the for for the whole doctrine of fuck you, I got mine. Yes. It doesn't it yes. doesn't it it's it's work. what we've always said though about this latest incarnation of the Republican Party. It's like if you get something 
it means it's being taken away from me as opposed to everybody having things. So Mm -hmm. white history has been taught for forever. So now this version of American history, which should be taught, is somehow hurting uh, the GOP. And it's just, uh, it's crazy. And I hope that they, I hope they stop, Erin, because I don't like it. Yeah, same. I don't like it either. Um, Another thing that I keep thinking about is like, look, if you're from Florida and you get into a good school, you are going to get made fun of for being from Florida. Like, that's what people at good schools just like. It's just like, haha, Florida. Because people, like, college kids are kind of hacky, you know, in their, totally. in their, their ribbing of each other. Um, so now, you know, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who in my brain I call Ron DeSantis because of the way Me too. Trump Me too. pronounces it. He, like, runs it all together like his name is Ronda Santis. Anyway, Ron DeSantis um, is, is one of the most vocal— voices in opposition to critical race theory, which isn't, there's no evidence that anything like it is actually being forced to be taught in any schools in Florida. But barring the teaching of like the role of inequality in American history is setting up kids from Florida to be made fun of even more when they go out of state to college. Erin, that is such a good point. It's like, help us help you. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Guys, there are, I know plenty of good people from Florida. Plenty. There are people people who are great in Florida right now, but that does not change the fact that Florida man exists and it is a framework for you being made fun of. So like, come (laughs) on, Ron. Make it easier for the kids. (laughs) Um, okay, so this is probably not going to go away because it's a thing that Fox News has really seized on. They 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 will not shut up about this um, because, like you said, they need to keep people terrified and they can't just cut to pictures of Joe Biden because he's always holding an ice cream cone and there's nothing less scary than Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm just He's just not a scary man. Not a um, scary man. The only no. thing scary about Joe Biden was when Jim Carrey played him on SNL. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't like that. That was— <laughs> I, that kind of gave me the feeling of, did you ever see the movie, like, Labyrinth or Return to Oz when yes, you were a kid? Yes, definitely. It was no. just like, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get nightmares. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right that it's all about ginning up fear in a time when it's kind of hard to find, like, a visual representation of why the Republican base should be afraid. And so they're just, like, making shit up. Um, but— yeah, I, this is this is like another part of the annoying summer of 21, and we're just going to have to live with it. 21's been a real annoyance so far. <laughs> it's been re- it's nice to be annoyed rather than terrified, though. That's true. We're vaxxed. We're here. We're annoyed. <laughs> right. To make like a summer analogy, like all of 2017 to 2020 or through 2020 was like the feeling of being chased by a bear. Right. And now it is the feeling of sitting outside and having forgotten to put on bug spray and getting bit by a bunch of mosquitoes. Which, you know, happened to me last week. Oh, it did? Oh, yeah. I was covered. Oh, no. Gosh. Why can't mosquitoes just chill? Shout out to Tiger Bomb because that shit works. Oh, good. Congratulations on that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some more. uh, This isn't like urgent political news, but I think we're both kind of tired of hearing about the Putin-Biden summit. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm glad we're back to normalcy. We're back to the normalcy of the readout from this likely being, I'm just going to venture a guess. Talks were constructive, but nothing really (laughs) happened. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin is still a wee little man. 
and n- nobody's talking about. I mean, who is look, like pretending he doesn't speak English? You know he speaks English. He does speak English. He's not <laughs> Vladimir Putin is not stupid. He might be pu- he might be puffier than a real housewife, as you said, but he's not stupid. Anyway, you and I are both kind of not really. We don't. We're just like kind of over it. We're summits. like okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. But um, something that is impacting a lot more people right this second is there is a huge drought and heat wave in the Western U.S. And Fuck a duck, it's bad. It's really bad. I was just outside of Phoenix the other day, and it was 122 degrees. I mean, Aaron, what does that even mean? Like, you know, I have not spent, well, I almost did pass out once at the Grand Canyon because it was so hot, but that's just because I have a low threshold for pain <laughs> tolerance, for heat tolerance. But what does that even feel like? It feels like I had to get out of the car and walk across a small parking lot to go into the Starbucks so that I could pee. And I was like, I hate this. Like there's something in my body that was like, no, it was, it was like standing next to an oven door that's open and the, and the heat is coming out. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a dry heat, but it's cooking me, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it doesn't feel it's, it's not right. It's, it's like, it's like, I think they call it being broasted, like broiled and roasted simultaneously. Yeah, it is like being broasted and it's, it's not great. But, you know, there are some places that are taking measures to adapt to the fact that climate change means that there's going to be more days like this. And there are some places that are not. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of listeners in Texas who are great and like working their butts off to change that state. Um, and so we're not trying to be mean to you guys. The people in charge of Texas fucking suck. Texas is, suck. We are right at the beginning of summer, and Texas's power grid is already overtaxed, already failing. People are being told not to turn on their ovens or turn on their uh, or wash their clothes or turn on their air conditioners. Think about that. A hundred plus degrees. Can you guys just like self-regulate and not use your AC? Yeah. What it's are you Maine. supposed to do? Get just get in your car and drive around for like the whole day. Aaron, and it's not just, so this is what's happening in Texas, and it's already a hot mess. It's June. They're already asking people to not just like sort of limit, like to X number of day, hours a day. They're like, please, dear God, don't use any of your, don't use any of your electricity. And in where closer to where you are, what's happening at Lake Mead and by the Hoover Dam is unbelievable. It's at its lowest level. It is, it is, um, I, I watched a YouTube video if you stood street level and looked up at a 13-story building, that is how low the uh, Lake Mead is from its historic levels. Oof. And they're saying now that the first places that will have to have, that will have, you know, water uh, conservation are Nevada and Arizona. And people, like, the thing, the reason you and I talked about this, and it's so important for people to understand, is, like, this is the circle of life where we are now. There wasn't as much snow in the mountains, so there's not as much runoff into the lakes and the rivers. And so now we're at a place where, you know, farmers are going to have to conserve as much as 25% of their irrigation, which means 25% fewer crops. And the worse that this gets, you know, as much as we try to understand agriculture, the simplest way to put it is if they don't use the land and the land turns to shit, you can't farm on it again next year. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so I think that this is such a critical, like we're on the brink of a Western U.S. straight up water shortage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, there we're in a summer where we're coming off of a year of everyone being told to stay home. 
and people kind of not really knowing what to do with themselves, not being able to fly. And I read an article this week in the Wall Street Journal about how people are rushing into national parks. And I'm not talking about all the national parks. America is just like festooned with beautiful public lands. And people flock to specific concentrated ones and uh, instead of spreading out all over, which is just part of the problem. But I was reading that in Arches National Park outside of Moab, Utah, they have to shut everything down at like 9 a.m. because the park has already reached capacity by by 9 a.m. Yeah, Canyonlands. Canyonlands, which you may recall from the movie 127 Hours, a place that used to be so remote that you could go there and a rock could fall on you and you'd have to saw your own arm arm off to get out. Canyonlands has had hours-long lines to get in because it's right next to Arches and people who can't get into Arches are going into Canyonlands. Zion National Park, there's hours-long lines to get onto Angel's Landing, the trail, um, which is a very hard and scary trail. Uh, Here's the thing. All of these people are going to places like Utah where there is, like, shortages of resources. There's not really a plan to, like, address any of that. It's super, super hot. Um, I'm just, I, I'm just, let me suggest if you're going to go to Utah, try going to Capitol Reef instead. I was there not long ago and there's nobody there. And she knows cause she's the queen of Utah. <laughs> I am, I'm an ambassador to Utah at best. Mitt Romney's the queen of Utah. Allegedly. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's, let's see. Uh, so heat wave in the West, Texas can't govern. Do we have anything Nice to talk about this week? No, do we? I think we do. What? The the Senate did a thing. (gasps) Erin, talk about what the Senate did. Senate did a thing. The Senate is going to make Juneteenth a national holiday, and we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk to somebody who is also very excited about that. Today, we are excited to welcome one of Wisconsin's finest. She was the first black woman ever elected to the upper chamber of the legislature of the Badger State, the first black woman to represent Wisconsin in Congress. She's a mother, a grandmother, and great-grandmother, and she currently represents Wisconsin's fourth district. Welcome back for the third time, Representative Gwen Moore. Hey, ladies. Hello. <laughs> Um, great-grandmother. How many great-grandkids do you have? I have two great-granddaughters. Okay. And my daughter has three daughters, so the two eldest have a daughter apiece. So I've got a queendom going. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I am here for that, 100% here for that. Um, Okay. So let's get started on a kind of joyful topic today. I'm excited to discuss with you. On Tuesday, the Senate passed a bill establishing Juneteenth as a national holiday. It's now being sent back to the House for a vote. Can you talk to us a little bit about why it's so important for Juneteenth to be recognized in the U.S. as a national holiday? You know, there is a lot of conversation about reconciliation, a lot of conversation about reparations, uh, and a lot of conversation about critical race theory uh, and the importance of Confederate statutes. And the reality is, is that the truth 
um, has got to emerge in some of these conversations. And so uh, I think Jubilee Day or Juneteenth Day is in and of itself uh, a contradiction because Juneteenth Day was literally, June 19th was literally two and a half years after President, uh, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, and when General Major General Granger rolled in and told the citizens of Galveston, Texas, that they were free and that that, they, that slavery was over, they didn't even know it. And, and, you know, it's an irony because here people were free for two and a half years and they didn't know it. And I think that we we still have that same phenomenon in America now. You know, we're free, um, but we have a hard time voting. We're free but we have lack of economic opportunity. We're free, but as we saw during the George Floyd uh, trial, uh, that we were disproportionately uh, uh, killed by police and uh, don't have justice. And so this, is, this needs to be a signature, kind of a reminder that the struggle for freedom is ongoing. And while it's a great day to celebrate, there's a lot of work to do. Congresswoman, speaking of celebrating, how do you plan to celebrate this year? Well, um, tomorrow I'm going to go to the Capitol, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and we're going to raise the Juneteenth flag uh, over the Capitol. And then on Saturday, uh, we're going, I'm going to enjoy the traditional Juneteenth Day celebration on North Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, where we have a marketplace, we have music, food, vendors, um, speeches, of course, by politicians uh, like me, and just sort of a gathering um, uh, in honor of it. I have a dress that I bought a couple of years ago, paid a lot of money to get it hemmed, just right for the occasion, uh, so appropriate. And I am going to, uh, it's gonna be a, a, a really relaxing day. It's also International Knitting in Public Day. So I'll oh. probably have some knitting needles um, <laughs> so that I can, you know, maybe make myself a Juneteenth flag or pride something or another, just something to recall uh, this moment. Do you have a most memorable Juneteenth celebration? Well, let me just tell you this. Juneteenth Day has been celebrated in Milwaukee for 50 years. Um, and it's, it's one of the oldest celebrations in the country and certainly probably the oldest one in, the, in, in up north. And so there are a lot of memorable Juneteenth days. Uh, certainly days when we have been rained, practically rained out and ran in for shelter and then come back out. But I have enjoyed Juneteenth Day. Uh, I, I think the most memorable thing for me is uh, the late Jan Kemp, who was the first person that told us about Juneteenth Day. Uh, and God rest her soul. Uh, and she went to uh, you know, to North Cotton Neighborhood House and the former director there, Mac Weddle, they pulled it together. And, you know, it, the first celebration, you know, there are about 3,000 people there. And we've had as many as 170,000 people walk down those streets on North, North Dr. Martin Luther King Drive. So to watch the celebration grow every year 
for it to be the kind of event where you can teach young people about the history of it uh, is, is just awesome. Oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. I've never been to Milwaukee on a Juneteenth, but that you're you're really selling it. I kind of want to go now. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Um, Milwaukee is a great town. And also go Bucks, by the way. Oh. I know, I know, I know. But they're not out of it yet. They're not out of it yet. That's they've, true. They've still Just, got some time. It would be a really, it would be a really special Juneteenth if the Bucks could get a couple more wins. Also, it'd just be like some gravy on top. Um, <laughs> okay, so Juneteenth, as you've discussed, is a celebration of the freedom of enslaved people. But what's funny about the idea of freedom is that while the definition is really straightforward, it's kind of been hijacked and contorted by conservatives to mean something that's really antithetical to it. What do you think freedom means in the twenty er, in twenty twenty one in this country? You know, really, I guess I couldn't disagree with whatever definition Republicans have, except that freedom is for everybody, not just for them. Mm-hmm. You know, there ought to be an opportunity for everybody to live up to whatever their potential is. It's not the same thing as equality. We're not all equal in a certain sense, but some equity. You know. Just, just give me a chance. Like James Brown said, you know, I don't want nobody giving me nothing. Just open up the door mm-hmm. uh, for me and I'll, I'll do it myself. You know, one of the things that, that, that it is so painful to think about in terms of Juneteenth is that the very first Juneteenth day of 1865, you know, 1866 was celebrated with great fervor, but there was an immediately a backlash. The Ku Klux Klan was formed. Uh, you know, when they established the Freedmen's Bureau and tried to help African, there was a time when there were African-American United States senators and people in Congress and the backlash was so harsh. And it's, we're being revisited with that same sentiment now where, you know, all across the states, we see hundreds of bills being offered to prevent that freedom, prevent us from voting. And even though we were, quote unquote, free in 1865, celebrated Juneteenth Day, it really was the 1960s where we, before we had the, the universal right to vote. And, 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 and now we're seeing a concerted effort to stop one of the most basic freedoms. And that is just to, just to have the franchise. hmm Um, Well, Representative Moore, thank you so much. Before we go, I don't want to start a Wisconsin fight, but what is Ron Johnson's deal? (laughs) Well, just let me say this. You know, uh, I'm happy that he's not going to object to Juneteenth Day this time unless something has changed. He's not going to object to us making it a federal holiday like he did last time when it couldn't go through. But you know what? I would trade his vote for Juneteenth Day or his lack of interference any day for S1 for mm-hmm. our right. <laughs> you know, so I think that it's just, you know, yeah, we're, 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 we'll give them Juneteenth Day. Uh, but we're, I'll be darned if we're going to give them the right to vote, the right to, to hold states and the federal government accountable for treating everybody's franchise as precious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right on, Senator Johnson, you're letting us have Juneteenth. 
and maybe this is the this will open up the door so you can let us vote. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first. On Juneteenth, we will all be planning on how to get SB1 passed. <laughs> That's right. And I got to get started on ironing this dress I'm going to wear. Uh, Can you just, G what's it look private. like? Can you tell us about it? Well, you know what? It, it's an African print. And it's got the kind of a big wide skirt, but it needs ironing. And I've, I've had it for a couple of years and I have never worn it because it needs ironing. So I'm going <laughs> to sacrifice for Juneteenth and pull the iron out. <laughs> well, we hope you post a lot of pictures so that we can see this dress uh, in okay. action on the 19th. Okay. All right, that's the deal. Representative Gwen Moore, thank you so much. Thank this you. was this was great. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Welcome back. Really excited for our conversation today. Alyssa, you and I kind of bitch about this a lot, like the larger issue that we're discussing today a lot. We bitch about a lot of things. You got to narrow it down. 
Um, we bitch about things that are important issues kind of being distilled into marketing slogans and uh, sold back to us as like cause marketing. Um, yeah, but you know, it's Pride Month. This is a month when there is a, a, an extra lot of that and a lot of people are annoyed with it for different reasons at the same time. So I'm really excited um, to bring in the panel that we have today to talk about the issue of cause marketing and the reduction of important social issues to uh, bumper stickers and and like special, you know, rainbow co like commemorative cups at fast food restaurants. So first up, she is a comedian and writer, Tian Tran. Tian, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Um, Tian, I'm noticing you're not wearing, you're not like festooned in rainbows. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I never really, I love the rainbow. Love seeing it. Don't want people to mix that up. Um, I personally never really got, I think I look bad in rainbow. That's just like a personal thing. <laughs> so to commemorate pride, I'm in all, uh, I'm in all black. So. Right. Right. <laughs> You're having a beatnik pride month. I am having a beatnik pride. I am wearing a necklace that says uncle TT though. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Made by my friend, Julia Shiplett at earlyretirement.nyc. She didn't know I was going to do it. I didn't know I was just going to do that, but check it out. I love that. That's adorable. Okay. And up next, joining us for a special appearance. She's been here enough that everybody knows her, though. It's Crooked Media's political director, Shaniqua McClendon. Shaniqua, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Erin, and hi, everyone. Alyssa and Tian. Hi. Um, Shaniqua, I have a question for you that isn't related to Pride. Now okay. that California is opening up officially, do you have any big maskless plans? Uh Walking outside, <laughs> that is like the most I can do. I went and got coffee yesterday at the coffee shop I go to, and they had already pulled up the six feet uh, social distancing signs, and the guy walking out didn't have a mask on, and it's just like so immediate, as if COVID is not still just lingering around us. So, oh my gosh, yeah. that's that's weird. I mean, now I mean, I hope that they don't go too far with it, and they're like now. Instead of getting like change, you have to kiss the cashier. Because <laughs> I just didn't, I'm not really a physical contact person anyway. And like, I kind of liked the six foot social distancing. Same. And yeah. Same. So, um, well, I hope that you're, you're, I hope that everybody who's vaccinated feels safe going out in public. And I hope that like that anxiety kind of dispels a little bit. I just don't trust people. That's my thing. I'm there with <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. But then I think every time I – do you ever, like, get behind the wheel of your car and you're driving and you're like, wait a minute. I'm trusting everyone else on the road All the to time. be able to know All how the to time. drive. About it's, that. it's a lot. I don't it's, even have yeah. a car, so I'm normally getting in an Uber and trusting <laughs> the driver and everyone else on the road. So that's fair. Do you ever have a moment where you're like, what am I doing? What are we, what are any of us doing? Yes. It's, it's crazy. Yes. <laughs> Frequently. Okay, good. I'm glad that I'm like my neuroses is more like universal than I thought. I'm not special, which is great. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk a little bit about um, the kind of corporate colonization of important social causes. And I want to draw a quick distinction. I don't think that it's wrong for like any corporation to sound off about any issue. Um, we're talking specifically about 
the point at which it goes from being like, oh, cool, a bunch of people who work for this company are are trying to uh, to put something out there that's positive in the world, and these people are just full of shit. Like, because there there is a line. So I want to talk about uh, something called pinkwashing, which actually has two meanings. I want to talk about something called greenwashing, which is kind of like pinkwashing, but about the environment, and uh, just the sort of feminism incorporating that happened with with other issues as well. Um, okay, so so greenwashing is the original cause marketing term. I learned this yesterday as I was doing research on this. Greenwashing was coined by an environmentalist uh, who wrote an essay in 1986 about the hotel industry. So like, you know, when you go to a hotel and they have that little placard that's like, Mm -hmm. we're saving the environment. Don't wash your towels. Um, In 1986, we knew that was crap. Like that, they the the hotels that put those things in rooms are making little to no effort to actually reducing energy waste, um, and in a lot of cases they're just trying to not have to pay people to do work. They're not trying to really reduce energy consumption. So that's like a term of like you know it means that the hotels are trying to get credit for being environmentally savvy without actually doing anything. Um, pink washing is a term that was invented in 2011 in reference to Israel trying to promote itself as a bastion of gay rights in the Middle East while it was violating the human rights of Palestinians. Mm. So uh, now things like pinkwashing mean anytime a corporation uses, uh, hey, hey, we like the gay, we like gay people, everything's great, <laughs> while doing things that are actively harmful to members of marginalized communities. So that's just a little bit of a like basis of what we're talking about. Tian, I'm going to start with you today. I have noticed this year especially that there has been a lot of backlash against corporate involvement in Pride. I just would love to hear what your experience has been with like corporate Pride meddling and how you feel about the whole thing. I mean, I I really... I find it to be deeply obnoxious only because it is... There is so much pinkwashing. Like, I, I think there... I think there was like a... Uh, a meme that was going around that like all of these corporations like AT&T, Verizon, CVS had like changed their logos to be rainbows. And I love thinking about the graphic design person who's not being paid enough to like lay out the rainbow in like (laughs) a like a Comcast logo. Um, But then they also on the back end are donating money, like tons of money to anti-LGBTQ politicians. So like, to me, it's just so, it's such a gross level of virtue signaling that like, we should continue to call out because you can't, you shouldn't get to have it both ways. You shouldn't get to feel good about like a positive message when you're actively harming folks in secret, which makes it even gross. Um, But I will say that anytime I see a commercial with lesbians, I cry. So... Like the first time I saw Wells Fargo had like a lesbian couple financial planning, I was like, <laughs> I feel seen. Our money, our money matters. Okay. <laughs> they want our money too. They want my they want our money too. The Oreo commercial that went around last year. I love the Oreo where, commercial. Oh my God, that Oreo commercial got me. It got me so bad. Even though like the end is like the dad painted the fence rainbows. I was like, this is too on the nose, but I'm weeping at this Oreo (laughs) commercial. (laughs) 
I mean, like, there's something to be said for, like, visibility and stuff. Like, you you mentioned gay women not being very visible in advertisements. And that's actually true. The first ad that was televised in the U.S. to feature a gay couple featured two white men in a relationship. It was for Ikea, obviously. <laughs> and it was in uh, 1994. And it was just, like, these two very masculine-presenting white men talking about how, like, they enjoy shopping at Ikea for furniture and they met at their sister's wedding. Like, or it's one of their sister's sweet. wedding. It was yeah. like, I just watched it. It's very sweet. It is very sweet, especially for like 1994. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty pr- pretty progressive. But, um, you know, in the history of marketing, lesbians have been very invisible, you know? And it's only been in recent years that it hasn't been used as like titillation in, in like network tween drama type shows. So it's like <laughs> kind of cool, I would imagine, to see yeah. that sort of thing. Um, But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's still, they want your money, you know? Yes. Yep. Um, Shaniqua, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, Juneteenth was, is about to be declared a federal holiday. Do you anticipate that corporations will sort of colonize Juneteenth? Are you like feeling yourself (laughs) sort of like, uh, there will be sales and you can like get stuff discounted. I'm sure they'll like. (laughs) I think it'll feel like Black History Month where they put a little bit of effort in like, oh, let's talk about history, but get this 50% off, you know, anything to bring people into the stores. I often, I can never not think about McDonald's. Now I will say they are consistent. They're like advertising targeting Black people is year round, um, but it, it still feels a little pandery, but I think that's the kind of stuff we'll see around Juneteenth. So yeah, it's weird. I mean, I'm happy that more people are talking about it, know about it, understand it. But um, the way that we celebrate holidays in the United States is to, like, have cookouts. And, you know, I think about Memorial Day. Like, why do we come together and have cookouts for that? Like, it's kind of weird. <laughs> that is, it is really weird. You know, like, I, I kind of, I really like Dia de los Muertos in the way that it's like, we have a cookout at the grave. Like, <laughs> you know, if there's going to be a grave-centric holiday, we should be like, we are having the celebration literally in the cemetery. It's like, it's, it's awesome. Absolutely no sarcasm there. It's the best. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about like, Shaniqua, I bet you've thought about this. Um, what is the line between like a positive, like corporate message and like straight up, like obfuscation of like social harm that a company is doing. Can you think of any like particularly egregious examples of somebody speaking up in favor of like a social movement and then behind the scenes doing harm? Like Tian mentioned with like anti-LGBT politicians receiving donations from companies that have rainbow logos. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually the same thing that they do when we're talking about um, Black Lives Matter. Like last summer, I was... I don't know how I felt seeing all these corporations issue these statements, um, a lot of them saying we stand with Black Lives Matter or just saying Black Lives Matter. You know, we're in this fight for social justice when maybe six to 12 months before that, like they would have never uttered that. They would have been afraid that they may have lost consumers, um, not thinking about maybe the consumers they might have gained from taking a stance. But when we actually get to last summer, all of these corporations are saying like, we really care about Black people. You know, we, we, we don't like police violence. I don't know that they said that, that they wanted to end it. Um, but just generally, you look where we are now with all these voting rights laws. And those statements so, were so well-crafted. You know, they made me think, 
okay, maybe they're going to step in and do something when it's time. And now we're here now and they're not. And so, you know, I don't think it's a new thing, but I think corporations, they really like to play both sides. And what was, I think the most poignant thing for me was last summer, you had more than just kind of like Black people and immediate allies saying Black Lives Matter, we have to stop police violence. You had a lot more um, white people and a lot of people, um, you know, people of color with higher incomes, more disposable incomes who were who saw the George Floyd video said this is not okay and started speaking out. And so now at that point, it starts to feel like it's in the company's economic interest to, to care about these things. But as we've also seen, a lot of the donations they said that they were going to make have not gone out, but also uh, support for Black Lives Matter has gone down. So it seems like their actual concern is tied to uh, people who have money to spend on their goods and how they feel about things. And if they don't care that much, then they kind of the corporations don't have to care that much either. Mm -hmm. Um, Alyssa, you and I have kind of discussed this like kind of you and I were both kind of working in an adjacent to quote unquote women's media during a time when feminism was kind of turning from something that entailed like advocacy for specific policies into something that was a little bit more like a fashionable label. And I would love to hear your thoughts on why you think that marketers and corporations do this over and over again for things from feminism to LGBTQ rights to Black Lives Matter. Why? What do you think is behind it? Erin, I'm going to say money. Um <laughs> Here's the thing is that it all changes with the more, as Shanika was saying, the more disposable income certain groups of people have, the more they are targeted for like, it's like, okay, Alyssa, you're making more money than you did when you were in the government. How do you want to express your purchasing? You know, how do you want to express yourself through purchasing? And I think that's kind of what it comes down to. And like for me, look, I am a basic bitch when it comes to this stuff. Do I get targeted? Yes. Do I buy into it sometimes? Sure I do. Okay? I'm not going to fucking pretend I'm better than I am. And the thing, though, for me is, is for these companies, my question is always like, okay, if you're going to make a pussy hat, <laughs> who does the money from the pussy hat go to? If it's just going to you, like this is where I think that companies, like I want to meet all the people that get paid a lot of money for corporate social responsibility because literally I could do all of your jobs in five minutes. It's like <laughs> if you are making money on a sweater that you put a rainbow on and it says love is love, well, are you taking all the money for yourself, this love is love sweatshirt? Or are you sending it maybe? Like if I were a company that wanted to make pride sweaters and show that I supported the community, I would say that all proceeds are going to go to helping fund the Pulse Memorial down in Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, I would find ways to say, look, okay, I'm a fucking capitalist pig, sure, but I'm going to try and lead by example here and show that you can be a capitalist pig, but you can also, when you want to truly support an issue, uh, at least overtly, right? I mean, corporate policies for how you treat your employees, all of that stuff. <laughs> Let's put that aside and just talk about the actual capitalism of it all. That that's that to me, it's like it's such low hanging fruit that it is shocking when they miss the they miss the opportunity to at mm -hmm. least do something that is you know materially beneficial to the people they're purporting to support, and then you know end themselves. So it's you know. That's, mm -hmm. it's like, look, they send, everybody knows all of 
because of Facebook and all those other fucking people. They all know how much money we make. They know how we spend our money. They know where we spend our money. They target us. Well, at least, you know, it's like, you know, you've got us. So Mm -hmm. just do something that is actually going to make at least a small, small, real difference. Well, Mm -hmm. I I would just add in that they do. It just uh, fucks over the people they claim to love. Like they literally take our money and go give it to these bad politicians. Right, right, exactly. Awful laws. And it's, uh, it's just like a slap in the face. I'd actually rather them just like keep it to themselves if they're not going to do something good with it. But just to, I guess, pour salt in the wound. Right. I think the other thing that is frustrating too is that when these corporations do enter into like talking about social movements, it's always the most palatable or safe mm-hmm. version of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's the like very entry level, how can we be the least offensive when it's like, as you dig deeper, specifically with like pride, for example, like there are, we have more anti-trans bills trying to be passed throughout the country in history, more than ever. And these corporations have the power to, you know, make a statement and try to push back. And they're not because that's like, the harder issue of the LGBTQ community that they don't want to touch because it's like, it's too controversial. Mm -hmm. But what is nice is like, you know, long haired lesbians in commercials. (laughs) That's fine. You know, like that's what's also very frustrating is that they enter into the conversation at the like tip of the iceberg level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like they'll, it's, it's like bandwagoning. They'll wait Mm -hmm. until it's completely safe and then they'll jump on and be like, I'm brave. It's like, no, you're not. The people, (laughs) the people that were brave were like the, the like AIDS activists that were causing problems and ruckuses Mm -hmm. when it was not popular, you know? And, A thing that I was thinking about on that note, Tian, um, was, you know, I think a few years ago when there was anti-trans bathroom laws in a couple places, there were big moneyed interests that actually were like, okay, this is your law. We're moving our shit, Um, which I think is is a good use of of corporate Mm -hmm. heft. It's like, okay, cool. We're going to pull this out of the economy. Georgia, I think after Georgia passed um, an abortion ban a few years ago, there were places that were threatening to take their business elsewhere. Um, there was a piece in the New York Times by Linda Greenhouse, who is a, she's a legal writer, and she writes a lot about abortion law. And she was talking about how recently, you know, Texas just passed a, an, essentially a, a ban on abortion at, at six weeks gestation, which is like two weeks after a person's missed period. And uh, no corporations are doing anything about that, you know? And, you know, you mentioned like... There, every every single company does like Mother's Day things, does Father's Day things, does holiday related things, and I kind of want to say like, oh, you love veterans so much, like, what are you what is what do you have in place to help hire veterans? Like, do you yeah. have any policies in place? Oh, you love mothers so much. <laughs> What's your maternity leave policy? Oh, you love fathers so much. Like, do you have a paternity leave policy that matches your maternity leave policy so fathers can also be caregivers? Like, there are all these things like within companies I think that are sometimes like lacking in the way they treat their their own employees. It's not just like where the money is going. It's like mm-hmm. their own employees are not doing very well. Alyssa, do you think that that like cause marketing has become, it's sort of reached a tipping point where it seems like everyone is annoyed with it this year. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's like a generational thing? Do you think Gen Z is over it where millennials were sort of like, yeah, we love cause marketing? Like, what do you think is behind that? I think for millennials, cause marketing was new. 
And so mm-hmm. I think there was like an assumption that there was like a lot more meaning behind it, right? Mm-hmm. That the, these companies were doing it because they felt it, uh, you know, that it was more than just marketing, right? That it was an ethos. And I think that people have realized that that's not the case. I think people have drawers full of shirts with slogans <laughs> and sayings on them uh, for causes that haven't made a lot of progress since aforementioned T-shirts were purchased. So I think that, you know, now it's just, it's like everyone realizes it's not on the level, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. great. They've, they've made their shirts with rainbows. They have their pink pussy hats. They have all these things. They have Black Lives Matter T-shirts. And yet how they run the companies hasn't changed. How they treat their employees hasn't changed. The world hasn't changed that much. So I think people are like, excuse me, I'm going to save my money for a nap dress. <laughs> uh, thank you for sending me a nap dress in the mail, by the way. Yeah, Wait, what is that? Oh, it is a nightgown it's that you're supposed to wear It's the ultimate marketing outside. ploy that I fell victim to. <laughs> like it's I a, said, I'm a basic bitch, you guys. <laughs> it, is a, it is a nightgown. Uh, for sure, it is a nightgown. Um, I wanted to talk very briefly before we kind of close this part of the conversation. Shaniqua, Mackenzie Scott, what do you think— about her. She's given away $8 billion. Um, is she like the good billionaire? If you look at it, I, I'm, everything's always in relative terms. I think what she is doing is great and nice. Um, just and put a period on the end of that. Or maybe it's a comma, but it's a comma. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, like she's definitely better than, you know, her ex-husband, but why does she have that much money? You know, I often, when I think about the government and philanthropy, even though our democracy is fucked up, we elect our elected officials, they make decisions about what to do with tax dollars and, and who gets that and where it goes. But in philanthropy, individuals are making huge decisions, especially if you have that much money, you know, just directing money where they believe um, these investments should be made. And I personally am a strong proponent of direct cash payments to people to let them make decisions about what they need in their lives um, so that they can better themselves. Uh, Not to say that her money is going to waste. I think it's going to really good things, but I think it's hard for me to ever say someone's, well, I mean, yeah, I I know she like got this money, but still where it came from, like people have been exploited. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to ever say there's like a good billionaire because the, you know, the foundation or the origins of that money are never, they're never good. Um, but I think relative to others, she's definitely um, higher on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a like a flurry of emails yesterday that were mm-hmm. like, Mackenzie Scott gives more money than we've ever received from anybody before. And it was like Dance Theater of Harlem. It was a uh, great places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like good. It was good places. But you're absolutely right that it came from exploitation and like not good situations. Yeah. Um, Tian, what, what do you make of like charitable giving, like high profile charitable giving from the super wealthy and by like mega corporations, just any entity that has that amount of money to give? I mean, same thing as what Shaniqua said. I think it's like, you have to look at where it comes from. And I also think it lets people get away with doing the bare minimum of mm-hmm. changing like all, you know, the systemic inequity that we have. Like when we're, when she, you know, she gave all that money and now we're like, okay, so some people can say like, well, actually there can be good rich people. And then we just like continue to let that Mm -hmm. happen uh, instead of maybe looking deeper into why these people have all this money, why these corporations have all this power and how can we 
actually address what is happening. Yeah. Like, like I think it's with the donations and with like corporate cause marketing, I think it just lets people off the hook to have a little moment to feel good when it should be more of a sustained and also like full solution that we're trying to find. But instead we're just like, cool, I'll buy this tea and there be happy that I donated to this organization and I feel good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have, I don't know why I've been thinking about this for the past three weeks. If I was a billionaire, what I would actually do with all this money, I really, you know, there's been this conversation about, um, we can't find people to work because they're too lazy. They're keeping their unemployment and governors are taking away uh, these extended unemployment benefits. To me, a good billionaire would set up some kind of system where they are literally paying people until they can find the work that they want to do at the wage they want to do. And like, no one can take that away. And then that is something that can have like a a systemic change on our labor market Mm -hmm. where people are forced to pay more and they can't just take away these benefits because this billionaire is just giving out all the money. So if, if a billionaire did that, then I would deem them. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Like a billionaire <laughs> fucking with the labor market by being like, no, you're getting paid $15 an hour. And until any of these businesses are matching yeah, it. Yeah, I'll pay you. Which could also happen, to Shaniqua's point, if said billionaires were just paying their normal taxes. Exactly. Yes. Like that's, yeah. So yes. this is my <laughs> thing, is that like, if they just paid their normal taxes, if they just paid the amount of taxes that I pay, how much money that would put back into the system Mm -hmm. to be able to do really good things for people. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to be too, too critical of uh, Mackenzie because at least she's doing something. I mean, there are just like thousands of people out there who are just like sitting on their money. And at least, you know, because of some of the things she's doing, people's lives will materially improve in some way. It may not be the way that they would have chosen, right? If you said, because Mm -hmm. Shaniqua, to your point, It's a real crisis management theory that when you have anyone who is struggling with something, the fastest way to turn them from a victim mentality to a survivor mentality is to give them a choice. And so your point is exactly right in that when you give someone a direct payment, they can choose how to take control of their life. And so, you know, by people just paying their normal taxes, EW wouldn't have to chase after them and threaten (laughs) them with higher taxes, which not for nothing. And like you guys know, I'm like progressive in my core. But it's like the higher the taxes get, it's just normal people who are going to end up paying who are like good citizens. It's not, Jeff, like I have a hard time. I just want them, I don't want them to pay more than they're supposed to. I just want them to pay what they're supposed to. Right. Right. Exactly. There's so many, there's so many, uh, legal, perfectly legal ways that very rich people get out of paying taxes. Perfectly legal. Just pay them. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just pay them. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and also, you know, there is a way for, you know, billionaires for the most part don't have like, you know, thousands of employees that they are directly paying out of, you know, Mackenzie Scott does not own Mackenzie Scott Incorporated. You know, she has like a philanthropic organization, but like a corporation like Coca-Cola or AT&T or Amazon does have the power to make direct payments to people by paying them a lot more yeah. money. Yes. <laughs> like you have a lot of money. Like, and that's that's another problem with I think the whole cause marketing thing is that by marketing a cause to consumers and not taking care of the people that are providing them with all of the labor, they're they're sort of it it sort of whitewashes 
or, you know, pink washes or green washes or, you know, female symbol washes, whatever, yeah. feminism washes, it, it, it just completely obscures the good that a corporation can do, which is to allow the people that are creating the, the, the product to actually mm -hmm. share in the profits, which um, I feel like we need to all put berets on right now because we just went full on like, <laughs> <laughs> we went full on communist, but that's okay. Um, okay. Uh, let's, let's. Great. Cause today's Putin day. <laughs> oh yeah. Today is Putin day. God, I just, I'm tired of that guy. I know this is a real edgy, edgy point, but tired of that guy. Doesn't seem nice. <laughs> Doesn't seem Speak nice. your truth, Aaron. I know, I know. I'm brave. I'm brave. Putin, Putin is chuggy. That was my, <laughs> that's my sassy tweet today. It's not that Putin is chuggy. It is that all of Russia is chuggy. But it's whatever. Um, all right. And now that we have completely dismantled capitalism, here are some ads. <laughs> Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Welcome back. Before we get to our sanity corner, uh, Alyssa, we have a little housekeeping. We do have housekeeping. We, we have housekeeping. There's some new merch, which is exciting. I love your, merch. As I, lo I love merch too. I think merch is the only way to express yourself as a uh, agent of social change. As a capitalist who supports <laughs> a, capitalist. a podcast. Look, you have to wear clothes or you'll get arrested you, if you go to the beach, you need a towel to dry off. You need um, a tank top to cover yourself up. You need a tank top to cover yourself up. If you want to go into a restaurant, they don't allow you to go in without shirts on. Trust me. Um, so we have some new merch in the store. We have a beach towel that says let women run shit. We have a let women run shit tank, tank top. top. What, what else is there? Our sanity corner mug. Oh, Sanity Corner mug. And as always, a portion of every order in the Crooked store is donated to Vote Writers. You can shop now at crooked.com slash store. Also, Alyssa, you know what next week is? Erin, it's a big week. It's a big week. It's 150 episodes. We've been doing this 150 times. We've Next week will be the 150th time. Not counting all the pre-show, like, pilot episodes we did. Oh, right. Where you made me audition? I... Yes. Z-Way okay. was, was in that crew, too, and we had a great time. We now did. Now Z-Way is like the new Beyonce, and it's great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 150 shows. Next week is number 150. And as a thank you to our listeners or perhaps a punishment to ourselves, um, we are going to give you guys some solicited advice. So if you have issues with relationship, family, work, 
and you want to hear what we have to say about it, do we know what we're talking about? Strong, maybe. Um, (laughs) You can submit a 30-second voice memo asking for our advice on a question to hysteria at crooked.com, and we will answer them on an upcoming episode. And I can't wait for this. I think it'll be great. You know I love to give advice even if it's bad. (laughs) I love solicited advice because I think as as ladies, we tend to get a lot of unsolicited advice. True. Good point. So I think it's like good that we're we're specifying like we will tell you because you asked us. But otherwise we're gonna leave you alone. That's exactly right. Exactly. You wanna wear your nap dress to uh pride? Do Do it. it. Do it. Okay. Um, All right. Let's get into Sanity Corner. I have a really stupid one, so I'm going to go first. Um, So this week, a story came out that there was a scene cut from an upcoming episode of the Harley Quinn animated series, wherein Batman goes down on Catwoman. So... (laughs) Yes. And the reason that that oral sex scene was cut from the Harley Quinn animated series, which is for adults, not for children, um, is because DC Comics reportedly insisted that heroes don't do that. And by that, they mean (laughs) perform oral sex on women. So here's the thing. I've spent this week thinking a lot about what heroes would do what when it comes to oral. And I have concluded that I agree with DC Comics, not that heroes don't do that because heroes absolutely do that. Um, But I think Batman specifically wouldn't do that. Think about who Batman is. Batman is a rich guy who drives a Mm. crazy car. Those guys do not perform oral sex (laughs) at all. Okay. He's the least likely hero out of all of the heroes to have any concern whatsoever in pleasing his partner. I don't think Batman would. Superman would, but not Batman. Hmm. I see that. I would, you know, I would love a hero origin story where some superhero dude gets his power from going down. Oh my god. <laughs> he he he's he's been told he shouldn't do it and he does it for the first time and now he has super strength and super empathy and that's how he <laughs> saves the world. <laughs> he's, so he's like outside of a burning building and he's like if I were trapped in there where would I hide? And he like <laughs> tries to like feel the feelings of the people trapped. You know what? I'm going to write that. I'll pitch that. <laughs> I I love that. I am not even kidding. I think that's a great idea. Um, but yeah, in the my my husband and I were driving home from a quick trip to Arizona the other day. And on the drive home, I just, because I was thinking about this. This is one of those things that like got in my head. And I was like, do you think, I was like, do you think Batman would go down on Catwoman? And he was like, what? <laughs> like just, it's a, you need to preface it if you're going to introduce it as a topic of conversation. Um, all the, you know. That being said, it's it's really it's really it's really dumb that we're living in a time when that is still considered a thing that is like taboo. Like I yeah. feel like we're in an episode of The Sopranos, but only for one. men. Only for men. Yes. Yeah. Only for men. Only for men. Um, okay. So uh, Shaniqua, I'm going to toss to you. What has been your sanity corner this week? Um, so I've been reading this book. Reading helps take me away from 
the chaos of the world. Um, and it's an older book. It's, well, not super old. All About Love by Bell Hooks. I've had it for a few years, but I did a book exchange last year and someone sent it to me. So I was like, okay, when the election's over and stuff, I'll finally read it. So I finally started reading it and it is just a beautiful book. I, I think I thought it was going to be about like just romantic love, but it's just about love in general. And there's a chapter that talks about it's not about public policy, but it's just really, as someone who works in politics, it just made me really think about, um, you know, how we approach our work. And she talks about how, you know, if you really are operating through a lens of love, like there's no way you can think it's okay to take benefits from people and, and not want to help people. So I'm someone who intellectualizes everything. And this book is like perfect for me <laughs> because it does that. But, um, but I don't know, it's like, it's made me feel things and, you know. I try not to feel things a lot. <laughs> it's a, it is a really good book. I think I read that like a year or two ago. And it was one of those books that just kind of like stuck with you, you know? And and yeah. I think that's a sign of a really, that's a sign of a really good book. Definitely. And it I love that also stuff that she writes about um, or that they write about like parent-child relationships and the way that, yeah. you know, we like express affection and stuff. It's It's a really good book. Definitely. Tian, do you want to go next? Sure. I I mean, I've just been watching, I know I talk about soccer a lot, but it, uh-huh. it the, it's the Euro 2021 tournament right now. And it's a blast. I'm having fun watching these very athletic men play soccer. It's just, I can't, I can't stop watching it. There are three games a day. Just check it out. Also, Copa America is happening. There's just a lot of soccer tournaments going on right now. Um, I know in my heart some of them should be canceled for safety, but I can't stop <laughs> watching. <laughs> uh, so that is my sanity corner, is watching just amazing soccer right now. Are you going to watch the Olympics? Speaking of things that make me like, uh. I feel so, I feel so conflicted about the Olympics because I think just like, you know, any sort of just unapologetic nationalism is scary, but I do always root for the U.S. in the <laughs> Olympics. <laughs> um, but I, I I think it should be canceled. It just, it feels like not a good time to like have a bunch of people from all around the world come to one place that is still trying to like take care of COVID. We are all still trying to deal with COVID. And the so. host country is less than 10% yeah. vaccinated. I know. <laughs> it just, it, and I already just read that like they they don't have good COVID protocols in yeah. place for the staff right now. So mm-hmm. like, ugh, as much as I want to see Simone Biles like do insane flips and win gold medals and like see the U.S. women's national team finally win a gold medal after winning the World Cup, I'd I think they should be canceled. Yeah. But on the other hand, did you see Simone Biles in Glamour? Boom. Like, yes. And it was awesome. <laughs> did you? Like, oh, my gosh. She looks so beautiful. Um, and second of all, you know, I guess one group that is really excited for the Olympics is uh, viruses. Like, they're going to just come. <laughs> I know. I, it's, it's, it seems like, yeah. It's, but, you know, I will say this. It does seem very precarious. 
Um, I don't think my opinion or, you know, will, will change. There's so much money riding on it that at this point it's like, I don't, my opinion has I know. No, I don't think they're going to cancel it. No. Yeah. So I go, my brain goes back to 2004 when the Olympics were in Greece, in Athens. And everyone was like, this Olympics is going to get the shit bombed out of it because of, you know, Greece is just all shoreline. There's no way to provide security. Mm-hmm. Greeks have, no, they, they are not ready for prime time, like all this stuff. And then, it ended up working out, <laughs> you know? So maybe by some like miracle, things will turn out okay. I don't know. Alyssa, <laughs> what do you make of the Olympics also? And what is your sanity corner this week? I mean, look, I would probably have decided months ago to not go ahead with the Olympics. Um, mm. I love Japan. I speak Japanese. I mean, I used to really speak it. Now it's very marginal. And like, and I love the Olympics. I mean, Ben Rhodes and I in 2008, I mean, every time there's an Olympics and I have been with my Obama bros, it is, I mean, Ben and I used to practice dismounts from the uh, pummel horse. I mean, like we, (laughs) I love it. I love it. And so I'm, I am, you know, if it's on, of course I'm going to watch it, but I feel like now it is nearly impossible to cancel, but it really just should have been postponed or canceled months ago. Yeah. Um, what is your sanity corner? Oh, my sanity corner. Speaking of nationalism, I am super enjoying Biden's trip abroad. Let me tell you why. <laughs> One, this used to be, if not my entire job, a piece of my job. So I love watching things that are well executed. But also, it's just like a big sigh of relief. I hated seeing Angela Merkel so stressed, and now she's <laughs> laughing again. And it's like it's like she can finally retire, you know? She's like, the world is not fixed by any stretch, but there wasn't nuclear war, and so, like, now I can go. It's nice to see the American president not, like, elbowing the prime minister or whatever the head of Montenegro is, um, just so that he can, like, beat the camera. It's so, the pictures are beautiful. The news is boring. I sleep well. (laughs) It's, like, it's nice. I'm proud of them. It had to have been hard to do during COVID protocols. But uh, also just Justin Trudeau living his best life with that whole long hair and the goatee. (laughs) (laughs) Macron, like, bouncing back after he got slapped in the face. I mean, it's like, I just, I'm here. I'm here for the world stage this week. I feel like (laughs) having, like, shaggy hair and a beard but still looking handsome is, like, part of Canadian culture. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's pulling it off. He's pulling it off. (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's like... uh, unkemptness that somehow still looks very chic. That's how, that's what I think. When I think of my friends that are Canadian, that's what I think. Also, like, he's kind of like, I'm not saying COVID's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I like that. Also, I love, uh, you know, Macron and uh, kind of the, his body language. I hate like body language journalism, but looking at him with Biden is sort of like an excited teen boy that's like, dad, <laughs> I want to show you what I did. Like he's... Totally. <laughs> it's not like the machismo Macron who was like, everyone watch, I can tame the beast. And they're like, no one was going to tame that beast, you motherfucker. <laughs> that's an untamable beast for sure. Um, well, that's all the time we have. Shaniqua, thank you so much for joining us. Tian, thank you, thank for, you for joining me. us. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. And again, thank you for the nap dress. It's amazing. <laughs> I also want to thank Representative Gwen Moore joining the three-peat hysteria guest club today which was awesome and thanks to all of you the listeners there will be more hysteria on our 150th episode next week 
Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.